When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I haven't really woken up oh, until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Welcome into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. This is Jay Zawoski. James Naveau is... Not by my side, but with me in body and mind and spirit and Kankakee. We are sponsored by Triple Threat Sports, Fry the Coop, and the Simpson Law Group. Um, fully acknowledging the awkwardness of this whole thing, James, where we are in the middle of a giant scandal, yet the Blackhawks remain playing hockey. So I uh, just want to put that out there. We know. We know it's weird. It probably feels weird being the first Madhouse podcast where we're breaking down a game. Uh, while this is all going on, but uh, we're going to get to everything. First half will be the game. Second half will be the Kyle Beach uh, situation. We're going to get to both, but I uh, just want to sort of acknowledge the awkwardness of things right off the hop. Yeah, it's obviously kind of been a weird week for us. I know that we obviously uh, had a really emotional, really uh, kind of passionate reaction to the news when it broke on uh, last Tuesday when they released the report and uh obviously Jay and I have kind of talked about it on social media and kind of talked about it amongst ourselves. It still does feel very odd kind of switching gears and going back to kind of watching hockey mode, I guess it definitely was, it was very awkward the first game and it has continued to be so, but obviously there is stuff on the ice that we want to talk about. And we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the off ice stuff too, because frankly, a lot has happened in the last week and a lot continued to happen today. There was a lot of a lot of breaking news stuff about the whole situation today. So we're going to try to get into all of that. But I think the right place to start, Jay, just to kind of get it out of the way is to uh, talk about the game. The Blackhawks uh, played the Ottawa Senators tonight. First victory of the season. It only took them 10 games <sighs> and an entire month. But the Blackhawks finally got a win tonight. Patrick Kane with a hat trick. Brandon Hagel with a couple of goals tonight. A really good offensive showing for the Blackhawks and finally get them off the uh, the losing schneid, I guess. Well, this is one of those games that, as this has been going on, uh, we've been talking about them needing, right? They need one of those games where they get a couple of helpful bounces. 
They get a big goal at a big moment, which they got from Brandon Hagel to make it one nothing because that first period was looking like a lot of other first periods we've seen this season where the Hawks are getting outplayed and Ottawa had a big sh- uh, shots on goal advantage. But after that Brandon Hagel goal, the Hawks really took things over, got up for nothing, gave up a goal, and then quickly responded with a goal of their own. I thought when Ottawa made it 4-1, not that I felt like the game was in danger uh, necessarily, but you could see a letdown potentially you know, being in danger of a letdown. But they scored again, made it 5-1, and they didn't look back. So um, all in all, I'm pretty pleased with the performance. Now, I, I don't think the Ottawa Senators are the second coming of the 80s Oilers or anything. As, as I was sort of trying to predict where this first win was going to come from, this is a game I had an eye on. Um, but it's good to see them do it in such a convincing fashion. And let's be honest, like the last few games, they've certainly played better, right? They weren't the absolute abominations they had been pre, you know earlier in the season um you know the the carolina game was bad but they're they're good against the blues and just lost you know there have been better efforts lately so to get that first win on a day where patrick kane returns from the covid list scores a hat trick uh passes both steve larmer and goals larmer had 406 they were tied coming into the night no kane was one behind him Coming into the night, scored three, so he has 408. So he's now third all time on the list, and he passed Dennis Savard in points scored tonight with four points on this game. So an historic night for Patrick Kane. Jonathan Taze with three assists of his own. So all in all, hockey wise, a very, very positive development for the Blackhawks. Yeah, obviously, we uh, have talked about kind of some of the puck luck definitely going against the Blackhawks. I saw a couple of folks today on social media kind of discussing the same thing where the kind of underlying metrics were uh, showing that the Blackhawks were having some uh, kind of bad fortune, especially at five on five this season. And obviously the floodgates kind of opened tonight and a lot of that bad luck kind of reversed, especially on Brandon Hagel's second goal. I really felt like that was kind of a, (laughs) that was definitely one. It felt like uh, was kind of owed the Blackhawks just based on the way that they've been playing in the last few games. And obviously you need your big guys to kind of step up. We had kind of called out Jonathan Taves for not really being strong offensively to start the season. It looked like he was pretty slow to kind of get going. As you alluded to, he had three assists tonight. I think that's five points in his last four games or something like that. I think Jonathan Taves is definitely uh, starting to turn the corner a little bit offensively. Uh, Patrick Kane had been out with uh, COVID. He was on the COVID list for a while. Apparently took the same medication that Alex DeBrincat took last season when he had COVID because he came off the list. Literally, Jeremy Colleton this morning almost sounded stunned that Patrick Kane was off the COVID list. It was just kind of that sudden. And then he comes out and puts up three goals and an assist. And it was just kind of just this wild thing, watching him kind of take over the game. He probably was the best player on the ice tonight. And I know that's kind of wild to say for a guy who had a hat trick, right? (laughs) But it it just, it was a very different Patrick Kane, I think, than what we were kind of used to seeing before he went on the COVID list. He was very noticeable on both ends of the ice. He was playing with a lot of speed and a lot of intensity tonight. I know, Jay, in our last, uh, one of our last podcasts, you would kind of mention that Kane had kind of gone through the motions on a few plays. That definitely was not the case tonight. I thought he uh, looked 
really strong tonight. Obviously, Brandon Hagel had one of his best nights as a professional tonight. Had five shots on goal tonight, which was really impressive. Saw a lot of good things from just a lot of guys in general. I think Seth Jones seems like he's kind of settling in to his role as a top defenseman on this team. I think that after kind of clearing out some of the pressure, I guess, that he was feeling early in the season, I've definitely noticed more uh, positive things from him lately. Definitely can see where he makes an impact on both ends. And then obviously, last but not least, you got to shout out Marc-Andre Fleury, too, who's been spectacular the Blackhawks last two games, definitely playing up to kind of that Vesna level. And while there are still things I'm sure we could address, the deployment of Dylan Strome and a couple of other things, it it does seem like the Blackhawks have kind of turned a corner a little bit in terms of their play on the ice, and tonight was a good example of that. And obviously they got into the win column finally, and we're going to see kind of how they carry that momentum forward. Uh, just looking over as you were talking there, looking at the uh, metrics of this game, um, Jonathan Taves had a 92.86 Corsi <laughs> and a 100% Fenwick. Uh, Jay, I think that's good. Is that good? That is a, That qualifies as good. Four Blackhawks were over 80 in Corsi. Taves, Hagel was 85.7. Debrinkit, 80.95. And Kurashev, the exact same. Uh, Carpenter, Phillips, Hardman, McCabe, and Kane in the 60s. Gustafson and Jones in the 50s. Everybody else finished under 50, but that's really good. Okay, a couple things you said. I think Seth Jones, you're right. He has truly turned the corner. And I know that I am a, I don't want to say an apologist, but I really like Seth Jones. I like his game a lot, and I focus on him when he's on the ice because I want to Make sure I'm seeing things that I think I'm seeing, and I'm pretty sure I'm seeing them, where he's keeping plays alive at the point, where he's getting the puck out of danger, where he's moving the puck well and accurately, he's playing physically. Like, everything I've seen from Seth Jones, I like. I haven't looked at his, like, overall uh, metrics, but I don't really care because the guy plays half the game on a team that's, until they prove otherwise, the worst in the NHL. So those things are going to lie a little bit. The eye test tells me Seth Jones is playing really, really well. I think a bit of a step, not as good tonight as he's been the previous few games, um, but still solid, obviously very solid. And another guy who needs to be shouted out, who has been playing excellent lately, is Ryan Carpenter. He has been tremendous for the Hawks, doing everything Um, you know, all the little things you need to do when you're in this sort of a situation where everything's going wrong. This is where guys like Carpenter and guys like Hagel who will will themselves into a successful play or goal or whatever, those guys are invaluable. And the work ethic that those two guys, Carpenter and Hagel show, and especially Carpenter lately, uh, it can't go without, you know, without notice, because I really think that. Carpenter has probably been, when you go like pound for pound, he's probably been the best Hawk lately. He's just, he has elevated his game when the team has needed it the most. And I really want to make sure I take a second to note, to shout that out because he has played very, very well lately. Yeah, it was a very interesting kind of thing to see kind of how his uh, deployment has been working out lately. He's obviously been sharing the ice a good amount with uh, Jonathan Taves, did that really tonight. Yep. And like you alluded to, just has been all over the ice. He's been out there on the power play doing some good things in front of the Nets. 
it, it obviously raises some eyebrows because you already have Brandon Hagel in kind of that top six role, and you kind of don't want to keep piling dudes into the top six that don't really traditionally kind of fit that skill set. But I think what Jeremy Colleton is trying to do right now is I think he's trying to capitalize on the guys that are playing with a lot of energy and a lot of effectiveness and kind of elevate them into roles where they're going to potentially be able to kind of create some things offensively for this team. Mm -hmm. And that's at least the vibe that I've been getting from Brandon Hagel and now with Carpenter. And I think that it's obviously it worked out tonight. It's going to work out really well, I think, so long as they have the home mice and they're able to kind of dictate those matchups I'm not as enthusiastic about I think Hagel I could see leaving with Doc and Kane and I think that's going to be fine I'm not as sure about leaving Carpenter up there with Taves I think that that might be something that they potentially kind of try to explore and to kind of tinker with a little bit maybe get Dylan Strom a little bit of time with Jonathan Taves perhaps just to kind of get him going a little bit offensively Um, I I think that that would be my lone kind of hesitation there but I do think that Ryan Carpenter especially in these kind of home ice situations I do think that that that's going to be an area where the Blackhawks can kind of exploit some matchups and can hopefully get him uh, generating some offense just by sheer energy level alone. Yeah, I you know, I'm hesitant to try to get anyone going at this point. You need to get the team going and you kind of have to do what you need to do to win. I want Dylan Stroman to line up. Don't get me wrong, um, but I'm not messing with the chemistry that Carpenter and, and Taves have right now. Who knows how long it will last, but it's one of the few things that's going well for them this season. So I'm going to stick with it. But uh, look, I, I want Strom played a team low uh, and well, no, not a team low, but he was pretty low in ice time. 1248, um, two shots on goal, another shot attempt, took a penalty, uh, won 71% of his faceoffs, which is solid. But just, you know, I, I want to see him doing more part of its opportunity. He had that really good chance in the first period. Yeah, I think it was the first period where he got the puck alone in the slot and it got blocked and it came back to him and it was just out of his reach. You could tell he's a guy who really, really is trying hard. And we've talked a lot about this um, as the Hawks have been struggling. As a team, you see guys trying to be perfect, right? They're just squeezing the sawdust out of their sticks, trying to make good things happen because Dylan Strom doesn't want to be scratched when these COVID guys come back. And he knows that that's probably what's going to happen for him so I think when you play that way, sometimes it can it can have a detriment to your game. And I think that's sort of what we're seeing with Strom. One other guy I want to ask you about, what have you thought of Isaac Phillips on defense? Great question. I actually, um, in his limit, obviously he's only played a couple of games. Now. I think tonight was his third game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have been liking what I've seen from him. I know that that's a guy that obviously you only played 12 minutes tonight. You're not going to get a whole lot of you know, feedback on a guy when he's playing that little and he basically didn't play any special teams time at all. But at the same time, I have, I've liked some of the discipline I've seen from him. I do think that he is solid in terms of like keeping his defensive assignments from what I've kind of noticed. I I think obviously there's still kind of some stuff that he's going to have to work on in terms of that. But I think overall I've been, I'm not going to say like impressed, but modestly happy I would say I'm kind of in the middle there and I do think that he's a guy that I wouldn't mind maybe seeing him get a little bit more time even as guys kind of start to get healthy they just they struggled so badly 
this season in terms of their bottom pairing defensemen that I think you can't help but give a guy like Phillips a chance to kind of stick in the lineup. And obviously you look at his Corsi numbers tonight, he was really strong. He was a 63% Corsi, which I'm never going to complain about for a defenseman. And obviously, you've got some pretty big names on this uh, team right now. But I think overall, he's a guy I could continue to see go out there. He just he seems like he has maybe a little bit more polish than I kind of thought that he would have. I don't know if you're getting the same uh, vibe from him, but I definitely I'm not seeing a lot of like huge alarm bell type moments with him. What about you? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on that one. Uh, I don't know what his spot's going to be when Caleb Jones and Wyatt Kalanick come off injury and they're skating again. Uh, Riley Stillman should be back relatively soon here. Uh, and you've already got your log jam in Rockford of Bodan and Mitchell and all those guys. But um, you're right. We talk about looking the part, right, and sort of passing the eye test. Phillips has done that for me so far. And again, like, like you said, he's played three games. His ice time has been limited. Um, but for a 20-year-old that came into this season without a lot of hype, uh, and, you know, we saw him play a couple preseason games and said, okay, who's this kid? Let's keep an eye on him. Um, you know, fifth-round pick in the 2020 draft. Now a lot of people were talking about Isaac Phillips. And for him to come in and earn some ice time and, and look pretty good in doing so, um, that's encouraging. That's that's a good thing. You can never have too like you cannot have too much defensive depth. And to just find another guy who is able to play decent minutes at the NHL level and do it pretty well, that's encouraging. Look, he's not gonna light up the scoreboard. He's not gonna, you know, he's not Eric Carlson or anything like that, but he's a guy you can put out there, it's not gonna hurt you for the most part, and and that's really solid. And look, six three, one ninety-three at age twenty, he's gonna fill out a little bit. So curious to see. I, I don't know if I see anything in this game that stands out as like, oh, he's got really great this or that, but it just seems sort of a solid all around stay at home type. And and who knows what he develops into? I just I just wonder what it's going to be when Jones and Kalanick and Stillman come back. I, I, I mean, he's going to be in Rockford. I don't think there's any question about it. Yeah, especially with those two guys. And I think we saw a lot from uh, Kalnick last season that we were impressed by, and we think that he's definitely going to get some time. I think personally, when even when Kalnick and jo uh, Jones end up coming back into the mix, I would imagine that the first guy to potentially kind of get the axe is Eric Gustafson. I mean, he only played a minute of ice time tonight on the power play. He's had some really, really bad – and look – I know. In the past, I've called for Eric Gustafson to be a forward. My issues with his defense are well documented. Yeah. However, I even I have to say he's looked really bad at times on defense this season. I would not be angry if the Blackhawks, when Kalnick and Jones come back, if the first guy to kind of get the axe in terms of playing time in a roster spot, I wouldn't be mad if it was Gustafson. I don't think you lose that much from an offensive perspective, especially on the power play. And I'd rather have a guy like Phillips stick around if he continues to play the way that he has. Obviously, that's open to change if he ends up kind of taking some steps back. We've all seen and all said that, you know, development among defensemen is definitely not a linear thing. There's always going to be ups and downs with them. But as of right now, I would say I'd probably rather have Phillips on the roster than uh, Gustafson just because I do like what he's kind of been providing on the defensive side of things. I agree. If that's a decision, that's one I would make. Um, look, I, I think had Jones and or Kalnick not, not gotten hurt, Eric Gustafson would not be a Blackhawk. Um, that was definitely one of those like, oh, we should do something here. Let's sign a veteran for cheap uh, to hold us over with these injuries. But both the guys are back skating. 
Uh, Stillman is on the COVID list, but should be off soon. So, yeah, I, I, I hope that's the move. And look, remember the Blackhawks told you uh, a couple weeks ago they're still rebuilding. Remember, it's not. No, no, no. They're not trying to win. It's still a rebuild. So if that's the case, there's no reason for Gustafson to play when you've got your young, um, higher ceiling defenseman coming back and available. And and like you said, Phillips is starting to put himself in that category as well, which is super encouraging. You know what else is super encouraging, James? Our friends at Fry the Coop have signed on for another quarter of sponsorship on the Madhouse podcast. We thank them very much for that. And as a reward to our friends at Fry the Coop, I'm going to challenge you guys to go visit Fry the Coop. And if you can prove that you did, Take a picture of your receipt. Take a picture of your food. I'm going to pick one of you guys out of a hat and send you a Madhouse podcast prize pack. How about that? Go visit Fry the Coop in Oakland, Elmhurst, West Town, Prospect Heights, or Tinley Park. I'll send you a Madhouse podcast t-shirt, some stickers, some buttons, all sorts of stuff. Uh, If you can prove you went, make sure you tell them you heard about them on the Madhouse podcast. They have been our loyal sponsors for a long time long time and they're remaining our sponsors because of you guys you support our sponsors and that's huge for us and we greatly greatly appreciate it so go get some of the best damn nashville hot chicken you have ever had celebrate the first blackhawks win of the season with some hot chicken again oakland elmhurst west town prospect heights and tinley park go to frythecoop.com check out their incredible menu of hot chicken options including the tenders the chicken sandwich they've got a donut chicken sandwich uh, everything there is absolutely phenomenal. And if heat is not your thing, they sell it without the heat. They've got the country style, which is just plain. And if you are a fan of hot food, I guarantee you they make it hot enough for you. For me, the hot, and I like hot food, the hot makes me sweat. And there's two levels above hot on their menu. So go check them out if you haven't already. If you have, thank you for supporting our sponsors because that's the best way to support us here at the Madhouse podcast. I think we'd be remiss to not discuss the significance of what Patrick Kane accomplished tonight. Um, Passing Steve Larmer in goals in the organization's history. He's now third in Blackhawks history in goals. And he passed Dennis Savard in points. And we've had this discussion a few times in the preseason. And I think a few times since, as we discuss Patrick Kane's place in Blackhawks history and You know, every one of these records to fall is just going to solidify that spot as arguably the best Blackhawk ever. And I know it's going to take a lot to surpass Stan Makita, but he's got a lot of hockey left, man. And and he still can put together games like this uh, seemingly at will. When he wants to play, when he wants to compete, he's hard to stop. And this is tonight was an example. Just remember, guys, I know this is Patrick Kane's uh, 15th season in the NHL. He's still only 33 years old. Like, he's still pretty young. Like, yeah, not probably in his uh, prime of his career anymore. Obviously, the playoff mileage will probably end up kind of getting you in situations like this as well. But, I mean, any time that you're mentioned in the same breath as Makita and Hull and Larmer and Savard, I mean, you're obviously in incredibly elite company. And I think the fact that Patrick Kane has been able to do this for so long against really good competition and the fact that he has three Stanley Cup rings on his hand, I think all of that kind of put together definitely – Puts him right up there in terms of uh, Makita and definitely with Hall, I would say. If you 
told me right now I absolutely had to pick my top two Blackhawks of all time, I'd be really hard-pressed not to say Makita and Kane at this point. And I know that might strike some as blasphemous, but I think his record speaks for itself. And the fact that he's able to still go out there, get the seventh hat trick of his career in his 15th NHL season, I think is an absolutely wild accomplishment. And I think indicative of the kind of player that Patrick Kane can still be for several years moving forward. And I think that I kind of think to, you know, the fact that his contract's going to expire at the end of next season. And it's kind of wild to me to think, I wonder if that dude gets like kind of a Joe Pavelski level contract from either the Blackhawks or somebody else to keep playing for three or four more years. It's just, it's absolutely crazy to think about the longevity that he has had with the Blackhawks and yeah, kudos to him for uh, hitting those milestones tonight. Just a huge night for him. Yeah. I I think even to have the conversation that he might be, you know, the greatest Blackhawk ever, even if you don't believe that to be true, the fact that someone has come around that can be mentioned in the same breath hockey-wise as Stan Makita and Bobby Hull is something that, frankly, I never thought I would see. Even, you know, during the heyday, even during the cup runs, it was still like Kane and Taze were down here and Makita and Hull were up here, and Kane has just gotten better and better and better sort of as the Hawks have started fading. It's almost like he's gotten better, which is crazy. He's had to do more of it himself than he had to do in the past. So that's part of it. But he's showing no signs of slowing down. And I do think he's going to get another contract. Whether or not it's here in Chicago remains to be seen. Um, And that's a conversation for another time. But I think you're right. You mentioned the Joe Pavelski thing that everyone kind of scoffed at. Like, you're giving him that much money? And okay, And Joe Pavelski has been really good, (laughs) you know, like overall, it's been a really solid contract signing. So I don't know. I'm everyone's like, oh, go back to Buffalo. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. But um, he's got a lot of hockey left, whether or not it's in Chicago remains to be seen. But uh, I I couldn't imagine him being, you know, in two two years from now. Do you think he's a much different or, or worse player? I don't. I highly doubt it. Obviously, I know some NHL teams are going to look at a 35 year old with 17 years of or 16 years of hockey on the odometer and kind of question whether or not they're going to want to put out that kind of money. I frankly wouldn't be surprised if the Blackhawks just are already planning to offer him an extension as soon as he's eligible to sign one. And I'd be hard pressed to imagine a scenario where Kane wouldn't take it. I get the sense that that he would want to stay in Chicago for the remainder of his career. I don't really put a lot of stock into, oh, he wants to go home and play in Buffalo. I highly doubt that. I don't think that that's really a consideration at this point. I mean, I could be wrong, obviously, yeah. but I think that the the legacy that he's built in Chicago, I think it would be it would make sense for the Blackhawks to get kind of a deal like that done. And then even if you want to make the argument like, oh, $7 million for a 35-year-old guy. Just remember, that's still $3.5 million a season less than what he's making now. So <laughs> it's a significant pay cut. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that – obviously, I don't – I don't know if the pay cut will be that significant, but I can't imagine, obviously, him getting another no. $10 million contract from anybody. No so, shot, no. 
I, I think I think it'll be very interesting to see how the Blackhawks handle negotiations. I kind of doubt that they're going to kind of let it drag out. I think that they'll try to re-sign him as soon as they're able to. And, I mean, obviously, like you said, that is a conversation for far down the road. But I think right now we just need to make sure we do kind of have some appreciation for what it is that he's doing and the place that he's cementing himself in Blackhawks history. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade of prosecuting homicide cases, as an assistant Cook County State's attorney, he opened his own firm over 20 years ago, specializing in all forms of personal injury cases. His firm's results speak for themselves, with millions recovered for their clients. Sinson Law Group charges no fees unless they win for you. So if you got hurt at work, or if you're the victim of someone else's negligence, Call Kent Simpson for a free consultation. 312-332-2107, 312-332-2107, or visit SinsonLawGroup.com. That's S-I-N-S-O-N LawGroup.com. Don't go offsides. Go top shelf. Call now. Had a nice long conversation with Kent Simpson today about all things Blackhawk scandal, which is where we're going to go now. Um... We're going to have Kent on the show again soon. He's got a lot of thoughts on this. He's been following this case uh, very, very closely. Kent is not just a sponsor of the show. He's a huge hockey fan, a huge Hawks fan, and uh, he has really been helpful uh, throughout this entire thing, both on and off the podcast. So, Kent, thanks for all you've done so far. All right. Last time we talked, James, we didn't know it was Kyle Beach. We didn't hear from Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane. And so much has happened since our last podcast. And I want to say one thing before we continue. We received so many emails from our listeners of different tones and tenors. And we had people questioning their fandom, if they could ever root for the Blackhawks again. We had people reveal to us that they had been victims of sexual assault before we had people, you know, trying to reason with, you know, I grew up and this was where I am. You know, I grew up watching the Hawks with my dad and going to games with him. And then with my wife, the Hawks are so integral to so many people's lives that when they organizationally let people down, I don't know if they understand the scope of that disappointment and, you and I, James, this past week got a small indication of that scope from our listeners. So I'm just going to say, I think on behalf of James, too, thank you for sharing your feelings with us. Thank you for trusting us with that information. And I'm sorry that we don't have a better answer for you as to kind of how to navigate your feelings, because frankly, and I'll speak for myself here. I don't really know myself. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. And as this game was going on, I'm thinking to myself, how are we going to just do a post game show after all this? But at some point we got to do it again, right? It is a Blackhawks podcast. We're still playing hockey. Most of the players on this team have nothing to do with when Kyle beach was here. None of the executives do at this point. Right. either. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's like we said from the offset, it's very awkward. And I know it's going to take 
some people some time to get back into the swing of hockey. It doesn't help that they're not good. Um, <laughs> it makes it a little more difficult when you're getting their asses handed to them. Hello, Blackhawks. Here's your ass. Enjoy. Take this again. Um, you know, it, it just hasn't been a pleasant experience at all this season. Um, but thank you all for reaching out. Thank, and even if you just reached out with a compliment um, about the last podcast, which frankly for both of us is from the heart. Um, you know, I didn't plan on crying. <laughs> I didn't plan on raging, but yeah. it's what came out. And I think that's what our listeners appreciate about us is we're not manufactured. We tell you how we feel. Uh, and sometimes we're right. Sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes we're on it. Sometimes we're not, but it's real. And that's what we will promise you guys forever on this podcast. You're never going to get anything manufactured. Uh, last week's show was real. And uh, thank you for all the very real things you shared with us as well. Uh, yeah. I, and obviously like you alluded to, like I just was, I was pretty overwhelmed by the messages that we got um, from conflicted Blackhawk fans, from sexual abuse survivors. Yeah. I mean, it was nothing that I ever could have anticipated happening. And uh, I, I definitely got choked up reading some of the messages that we got uh, from folks kind of thanking us for just essentially for what it boiled down to for me, just kind of being ourselves and recognizing that these are real human beings that were affected by what happened. And while obviously there was plenty of room to be, you know, frustrated, infuriated, you know, all of those things betrayed, uh, feeling those things from the organization, ultimately the things that we wanted to emphasize were just how badly we felt for uh, the player that ended up being Kyle beach. Obviously, like you said, we didn't, we hadn't recorded or we already had recorded before he had kind of revealed that he was the player who had kind of faced those criticisms. And then obviously had levied those allegations of just horrendous sexual assault at the hands of Brad Aldrich. That, that interview he did with Rick Westhead yep. uh, definitely, it obviously opened a lot of eyes. I think that it really um, hammered home this issue and being able to put, obviously having the allegations themselves was already bad enough, but then putting a human face and human emotion to that, I think impacted a lot of fans. I know for a fact that it impacted me. And I think that the thing that we do as podcasters, and I'm speaking, I guess, for both of us, is that we always try to adhere to the principle that these are human beings that we're talking about at all times. And we try to be as empathetic and as sensitive and, you know, not try to like hide behind a cloak of, you know, being an unbiased observer or or a meathead fan who just wants to see the Blackhawks put pucks in nets. Right. I, I think that we have always tried to focus on the human side of things, and I think that's shown through really brilliantly and at the risk of sounding like I'm you know, patting us on the back for being awesome. I, I just think that that's kind of our brand, I guess, and it, it's so awesome to me that that has resonated with everybody in such a huge way, and I wanted to – Thank everybody for sharing those stories with us and really sharing that humanity with us. And we um, we love you guys. And we always have said that. And this was another great example of that. And it was just it was phenomenal to see that kind of outreach. And it really it meant a lot to me. And I'm sure it meant a lot to you. So thank you guys so much. And hopefully we can continue to, you know, just do what we do and to just create a really 
positive community even amidst some really really crappy stuff that's been going on lately yeah honestly james like what's been keeping me going throughout all this has been this podcast like i feel a obligation to our listeners to not just bail and not just pull the plug on what we've built for so long um and just kind of not let my fury take over because there have been some times where i'm just like f this team i don't i i'm tired of being like you almost feel pissed to be associated with it right and it's because for all those years where people were congratulating us like hey i know you're a big hawks fan congratulations man great they won those three cups it's so great to see them finally taking off to oh man this must have been a really bad week for you like you know what it wasn't a bad week for me it was a little inconvenient but in the grand comparison to things to what kyle beach went through uh and that's kind of where i want to start in our discussion here his interview was heart-wrenching and i am an emotional guy but i i've actually talked to my therapist many times about my inability to cry um I haven't cried much since my sister passed. It's just been a thing that I've struggled with. And watching Kyle Beach talk about what he's gone through, uh, specifically what he would say to the victims that were abused after him, where he took blame for Brad Aldrich's crimes. And then when he was asked about, you know, how his family handled it and how his mother blamed herself I had to stop the interview at those points because I was so broken up. And I think, look, what Kyle Beach did was so incredibly brave to come out and reveal himself and say what he said and 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 be as open as he was. And I think putting a face to the story has made it so much more impactful, right? It's made it, instead of just some you know, people kind of guessing like, Oh, I wonder who it is. Like, maybe it's this guy. Maybe it's that guy. No, Kyle Beach is saying it's me. This is what I went through. This is how I feel. This is how I have felt before. This is how I coped with what I was dealing with, with lashing out and drugs and alcohol and all the things Kyle Beach has been through. And just a real sidebar here real quick. I've seen a lot of our friends in media beat themselves up for referring to Kyle Beach as a bust in the past. And I understand where those feelings are coming from, but you have to understand that you were working with the information you had, right? You could not have known. No one knew. And when Kyle beach mentioned that all the media was there when he was getting bullied, I would love for a follow-up to have occurred there. Did it happen in the open locker room? Did it happen around team brought when he said media, what did he mean by that? Because I've seen a lot of people in the days that passed by start to turn things on and say, why didn't you report this? If you were there when it happened, look, the guys I know on the beat, which is basically all of them would have had they seen that and heard that. So I'm interested to know what, what he meant by that. I would love a follow-up there, but I'm, I'm just to kind of get back to my point. Just as I mentioned writing my book, just as Mark Lazarus mentioned the same, and um, our guy Greg Boyson was really feeling beat up about uh, calling Kyle Beach a bust in the past. You work with the information you have at the time, and I think feeling bad about it means you're human and means you do have empathy 
and means you would have handled it differently had you known. So if any of our friends are listening to this, let yourselves off the hook for that because you didn't know. And had you, you would have definitely acted differently. Feels very similar to kind of some of the emotions that were going on when uh, Brian Bickle announced that he had yes. MS and a lot of folks, including us, had been critical of his on-ice production after he signed the uh, big contract extension. I think that what you said is really accurate in terms of not beating yourself up. I think that it's obviously kind of a growing process. It kind of allows you to maybe phrase some things differently when talking about um, a player who doesn't live up to expectations. Obviously we never quite know the uh, demons that, or the issues that anybody is facing on a day-to-day basis. And I think that that's the best I can kind of offer um, from that perspective um also want to point out that uh i never heard anything of that sort about kyle beach i never witnessed any of that i know a few listeners of ours have kind of uh, tagged us on twitter or whatever and have asked like did you guys know about this i had absolutely no idea i'm not around the team very often i've covered them at a couple of conventions and a handful of events like stadium series and winter classic games and things of that nature and i never observed um anything like that so speaking just for myself obviously i can't speak for anybody else who's been in the locker room but i never observed anything of the sort when it came to kyle beach let me clarify the same thing neither you or i are assigned to the blackhawks beat um, I became the the scores Blackhawks guy because there was no one else. <laughs> I was yeah. the, the big hockey fan at the station when they started to win. And that has sort of grown into what we have now, right? Is I became the hockey analyst. I got post game shows. We built the podcast and the rest is history. But I think from 2008 until now, I've probably been in the United center locker room four times. And I've maybe been at, you know, five or six media days ahead of the convention in the summer, but that's right. it. I don't, I, my job is not to, I do not get paid to cover the team uh, from Odyssey or at the time, 670, the score. So I was not in the locker room. Lest this become about us. I think we just wanted to of course. address some of those uh, comments that we saw on Twitter, but I think obviously the far more important thing that's obviously been going on. has just been kind of this, um, the, the kind of handing off of the hot potato, I think is kind of an accurate way to put it. I know that one of my biggest points of contention, if not my biggest point of contention on our last podcast was that nobody seemed like they wanted to take any sort of accountability. It was Stan Bowman saying, Oh, well, I thought John McDonough was going to handle it. And obviously the words is saying that they had no idea what was going on. And Joel Quenville kind of shrugging his shoulders and his mustache. And there was a lot of that kind of going on. And then today, Gary Bettman um, met with the media, and it seemed as though that trend continued because he admitted that the league was tipped off by the Blackhawks in December of last year that there were these allegations and that a lawsuit was possible. And the Blackhawks counsel had told them that there was nothing there and the NHL took no further action at all and then he basically bucked past to the Blackhawks saying hey they told us this was nothing this was completely mishandled by them and I washed my hands of it I absolved myself of it and Donald Fear the uh, head of the Players Association kind of did the same thing he said yeah this was brought to my attention but I thought so and so was going to kind of take care of it and it just 
It's been a week full of failures. Nobody seeming to want to take any damn accountability for anything that occurred. And it's just it's been in prevalent in so many statements, uh, so many uh, words spoken by high level executives and players. It's just so it's so. Di- and then to cap it all off, Kevin, J- Kevin Chevel Dayoff, who was the assistant GM of the Blackhawks at the time is not going to be punished by the NHL because he apparently painted a portrait of his involvement in that meeting as him kind of like meekly sitting in the corner, not really knowing what was going on. Like that's kind of the way that Gary Bettman kind of described their conversation. And so he didn't get punished at all. Everybody else is basically out of a job except for him. And it just was one after the other, everybody just failing to take even the smallest bit of accountability for what happened and to be completely honest I feel like the Wurtzes have probably taken more accountability than anybody oh and sorry the ultimate point I wanted to make was that Kyle Beach had to he apologized during that interview for not speaking up sooner and for potentially leading that youth hockey player in Houghton Michigan to be sexually assaulted by Brad Aldrich and the fact that he had to go on national television in Canada, and he, with emotion in his voice and just everything that was going on, the fact that he apologized for letting somebody down is a damn disgrace. And everybody else should look at him and maybe have some freaking courage and having some testicular fortitude and actually say, hey, I screwed up. Yeah. All right. You, you steered me right where I want to go, and I appreciate this. And I've been – it's hard – with so much going on, it's hard to, like, articulate my thoughts – well, so I want to be very clear here as we discuss the comments of Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves after Wednesday's loss to the Maple Leafs last week, which was the day Kyle Beach spoke shortly before the Hawks are probably full in game prep when the Kyle Beach thing crossed. So you can excuse them for not having seen the whole thing, but they got the gist of it. I can understand. I can suspend disbelief. You know what? That's the wrong thing to say. I can I can truly understand that. I would I don't think everybody knew exactly what happened. I know that the culture of men discussing uncomfortable situations it it will typically dismiss itself pretty quickly. No one wants to be part of it, no one wants to talk about it. So I do think that maybe one guy knew exactly what happened, another was like I heard a rumor and so on and so on. I don't think every player on the team knew exactly what happened. Okay, I can allow for that reality. What I can't forgive, however, is Jonathan Taves with everything that's happened since then, this summer, leading up to the season, and then the revelations on Tuesday, for him to, A, defend the character of Stan Bowman, B, to feign knowledge of the situation, and to see, not take some ownership of it. Look, even if he's being 100% truthful about what he knew about it, like, oh, I found out about it in training camp, fine. But what you say is, I should have been more connected to my team as the captain. When I heard some things, I should have stood up and said something. I was immature, and I'm sorry. But instead, what we saw from Jonathan Taves was, you know, carrying water for Stan Bowman and acting put off 
and irritated that he had to answer these questions. His body language was, stop asking me this. This is annoying. I'm tired of this. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I know you don't want to talk about it anymore, Jonathan, but the 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 responsibility that comes with wearing that C on your sweater, it's not just for the good times, right? It's not just to be called the greatest leader in hockey for about nine or 10 years. It's about facing the music when things are going bad and taking responsibility for things that happened on your watch. Whether or not you were 100% informed as to what happened, for him to take the stance he took last Wednesday was infuriating. And I had such high hopes that Jonathan Taves, who is typically on the right side of things, would come out and say the right thing and show the right tone and and have the sort of, uh, I don't know, empathy you're supposed to have for a former teammate. He had none of it. None of it. And to me, Patrick Kane was a little less bad than Jonathan Taves. But to me, I have higher expectations for Taves than I do for Kane. I'm sorry. I just do. I just I do. did want I did want to bring up Patrick Kane. Um, after the game tonight, he obviously spoke to reporters after uh, scoring the hat trick, and he uh, told media, "I feel bad. The last time I talked, I kind of put my personal experience with management ahead of the way Kyle was treated. Obviously, when you do that, you don't want to diminish or overshadow anything that Kyle went through with our organization." And he said that. Uh, he wishes the best for Kyle, says that if he wants to reach out to him, he can, um, and said that he feels bad because it's a lot to deal with for a long time. So at least Patrick Kane, I, d- I don't know, obviously, if like PR got in his ear or whatever it was, but for Kane to come out and say that tonight, I thought was definitely a uh, step in the right direction for sure. Good. I'm glad he said that. I respect that. I respect that he acknowledged his... Uh, his shortcoming from last week. I, I think he was not as egregious as, as Taves. And I, again, maybe it's just, maybe he was, but again, I just expect more from Taves. I think more of a, I think Jonathan Taves, I think of Jonathan Taves more as a person than I do a Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane, definitely. He like kind of referenced what Kyle Beach had gone through. He kind of drifted into the Bowman stuff. I definitely thought that Taves was kind of more emphatic about it, but I- I'm glad, like I said, to see Kane kind of walk some of that back because if there's anything that any of the players should be doing, and I thought Andrew Ladd did a really nice job of, of this when he was asked about the situation, and obviously a lot of other players have also done so. This isn't about Stan Bowman. This isn't about the Stanley Cup. This is about Kyle Beach. First, foremost, end of story. And I th- I'm glad to see that players are kind of starting to realize that and are starting to come out and say these things because it kind of gives me a little bit more hope that maybe we can start to kind of tackle some of these dark areas of hockey culture and actually maybe see some meaningful change in this sport because clearly that's needed to prevent something like this from happening again. Yeah, it's just I was just so disappointed in him on Wednesday. I just really was. I, I just... I felt like there was an opportunity there to handle it correctly with empathy and people would say, okay, Bowman's gone. McIsaac's gone. Everyone else affiliated at the time is gone. Taves and Kane came out and were empathetic and apologetic and we can move on. But instead they both drove that dagger deeper into Blackhawks fans hearts and I'm glad Patrick Kane came out tonight. Well, I, you know, I'm gonna. I will give him the benefit of the doubt that it was not a PR prepared statement. 
Because I think if that was the case, Taves would have talked too today. Um, so I'm going to give him credit for maybe realizing, you know, what he had done and what he had said and how hurtful it was. Um, so I'm going to give him credit for saying the right thing tonight and and move past it. And I hope next time Jonathan Taves has a microphone in front of him, he feels compelled to do the same thing because it's just hugely disappointing. And just to kind of go beyond that, I know you sort of brushed on it, but Joel Quenville throughout this whole thing has been ridiculous with just the flat denials. Oh, I didn't know. That is a bold faced lie. Taves and Kane say, oh, you know, we heard some stuff and we weren't really sure. And there were some rumors, yada, yada. No, Joel Quenville. Nope. I know. I had no idea. Never heard of that. Okay. Well, you're out of work now. It's just, I, I just keep going back, James, to why not on May 24th at 1 p.m. after the morning skate, whatever, say, you know what? This has come to light. Um, we have suspended upon investigation, Bradley Aldrich, uh, Pending the outcome of that investigation, he is uh, suspended until further notice. Uh, Hell, we'll, just suspend him and don't get into any detail as to why. Yeah, you only, First of all, it's Bradley Aldrich. You don't have to say anything. Right. You can suspend him internally, and no one's going to know, right, unless he says something, which in that case, I don't think he's going to. They could have saved face. They could have been the heroes. They could have done everything right and just said, oh, God. Like, if you saw John Tortorella last week on The Point on ESPN – He's like, if that happened in my, and maybe he's talking tough, but who knows if that happened in my locker room, I would have been throwing him out the door, physically removing him from the office. And yeah, maybe John Tortorella would have had to face some consequences for that. But when the truth comes out, oh yeah, sorry. I kicked this guy's ass. I threw him out of the door, but I, I found out he was uh, sexually abusing one of my players. You know what I mean? Like they, every leader in this organization at the time failed and they continued to fail until last week where they still failed. It's just, Oh my God, just do the right thing. And I think you said, you know, I think Danny Wirtz and, uh, and Jamie Faulkner have said and done the right. Well, Jamie hasn't really talked, but Danny Wirtz has said and done the right things since this has happened. Uh, well, Jamie Faulkner was a uh, party to delaying Marion Hosa legacy night. She was uh, yes. specifically mentioned in the press release that came out about that today. And it's another example, I feel like, of the Blackhawks. Like, yes, they are in damage control right now. Right. But they're also saying a lot of the right things. They released a statement tonight apologizing for basically saying that Kyle Beach's allegations lacked merit. They released a statement apologizing for that tonight. And I know that there's more at play there just because there are settlement negotiations going on, et cetera. But it does at least seem like they're trying to take steps, small or large as they are, in the right direction. And that's ultimately what we want right about now is just to see more of that. Sorry, I did not mean to interrupt No, you. that's exactly where I was heading anyway. So I, if you missed it, uh, today at 5.30, the Hawks did announce the postponement of Marion Hossa Legacy Night. Here's the quote. The Chicago Blackhawks and Marion Hossa will be postponing Marion's Legacy Night to a to-be-announced later, to later date. After further discussion between Danny Wirtz, Jamie Faulkner, and Marion, everyone agreed that this is an important time for our organization to reflect rather than celebrate. Marion and the club's leadership team 
All know we must build back our community's trust as we ensure accountability within our organization following Kyle Beach's courage in coming forward. Our new leadership team is committed to upholding our values and always working to better this organization and our game as we move forward. There is no better embodiment of those values, both off and on the ice, than Marion Hosa, and we congratulate him on his upcoming Hall, Hockey Hall of Fame induction. So there is the statement uh, released shortly before the game this evening. So Hosa night postpones. And I know a lot of people were kind of pissed about that. <laughs> like, that's why I bought tickets. But look, this is the right move to make. To go out there eight days from now and throw a celebration for a 2010 Blackhawk is really, really tone deaf. And the Hawks and Faulkner and Wirtz, and it looks like Marion Hosa had some say in this decision as well. They have all made the right decision here. And I have to Absol imagine Andrew Shaw agree. Knight is going to be postponed, and I would think that Nicholas Jalmerson Knight is going to be postponed, and all those things should be and, and will be pushed to a later date. At least I hope so. Yeah, it, it was definitely the right move for the Blackhawks to make. And like I said, between that and the um, the apology uh, for saying that Kyle Beach's allegations lacked merit, I, I do think that there is obviously a very concerted effort to kind of right the wrongs of the past and to kind of get the organization moving in a different direction. And while people can and will obviously question kind of the motivations for doing that, I'm not going to argue with the fact that it needs to be done. So that's kind of where I am at with it. I think the Blackhawks need to keep putting their money and their actions where their mouths have been throughout this uh, process over the last week. And if there's anything positive, I can kind of hang my hat on as we kind of continue to move forward from this. I think that their actions right now are speaking to good things, hopefully in the future. And I just hope that that continues. Agreed. All right, buddy. Thank you for another great podcast. Appreciate you all tuning in once again uh, for, from both of us. Thank you for sticking with us. I know this season sucks and it's uh, hopefully going to get better. Hopefully the hockey gets a little bit better. Um, glad to see Patrick Kane say the right thing tonight and just hopefully we can just keep moving forward positively. Um, I don't know. It's I know it's been tough and I know it's a hard time to be a Hawks fan and James and I are right there with you. We understand where you're coming from. We have felt the same feelings you're feeling. And uh, look, I, I couldn't be prouder of the show we did last week. And uh, I, I, I'm always proud of what we do, but I think especially last week was a show. I'm, a, I'm not someone who likes to give myself praise, but I think the two of us did a great job and made a lot of people feel heard and seen. And uh, hopefully we can keep that going for you guys. I know we won't be perfect. I know we're going to say some dumb stuff now and again. Um, but just truly, uh, thank you so much for sticking with us. Want to thank our sponsors, Fry the Coop, the Simpson Law Group, and Triple Threat Sports. We'll talk to you next time on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.